Welcome to Life, Love and Light. I'm Veronica Mary Rolfe, and in this fourth season of podcasts, we're examining the topic of resurrection, Christ's resurrection, and our own. We've also been considering how we might live resurrected lives right now, even in the midst of our personal sufferings, our pain, our life challenges, as well as the ongoing tragedy of ecological disaster and a deadly war. This series of podcasts is drawn from my recent award-winning book, Living Resurrected Lives, What It Means and Why It Matters, which was co-authored by my daughter, Dr. Eva Natanya. Last week, we discussed how we might actually begin to live resurrected lives here and now. We considered why it is imperative that we learn to live in the divine dimension, even as we are immersed in our human dimension of work, play, struggles, and sufferings. We examined why it's necessary to be prepared for death so that the hope and joy of a resurrected life can become our normal way of living. Because if we believe that Christ's resurrection conquered death, not only his, but our own death as well, and if we believe that he rose to new life for us, then we can trust with St. Paul that whoever dies with Christ will also rise with Christ. And rather than leaving us complacent, such faith demands that in every day of our present life we do everything we can to prepare for our future life. It is what we were created for and what we were redeemed for at such great cost by Jesus Christ. And far from taking us away from our earthly efforts, such an attitude grounds all our endeavors, animates our energies, and gives greater meaning to every aspect of our lives. But how do we do this? St. Paul taught us that it is through the practices of the virtues of faith, hope, and love, along with total trust in divine grace and devotion to service, that we may come to know the mind of Christ and thus begin, even now, to live our lives as resurrected people. So last week we discussed just what such a living faith means, what a daring hope demands, what a radical love involves what a total trust enables, and finally, what a life of service entails. Today, I want to examine a method of contemplative prayer that can help us come to a greater awareness of the reality of Christ's resurrected life that lives within us. I will be drawing on part two of the book, Living Resurrected Lives, which was written by my daughter, as I said, Dr. Eva Natanya. Eva is a theologian, a scholar, translator, writer, teacher, spiritual director, and a dedicated contemplative. 
So with Eva's guidance, how do we develop a contemplative practice? Jesus said to his disciples, quote, But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6.6 6. The spiritual logic is simple. If we have any hope of coming to live a resurrected life, we must do our part in developing an ever more intimate relationship with the Lord, the very one in whose life we wish to share. If we can recognize that all our current problems are ultimately a result of our deep-seated spiritual blindness, then we must gradually learn to see ourselves and each other with the mind of Christ. If all the negativity that festers within our subconscious and causes us to harm others, even in the slightest way, is a result of our failing to understand how and by whom reality is being created in every moment, then we must strive to discover the supreme reason for loving our neighbor as ourselves. And this discovery can only be made in the silent depths of our own hearts. And if we wish to break through to the divine light within, to glimpse the true source of all things, then we must make that inner journey our first priority every day. Consider for a moment how you manage to make time and mental space for all the things you do in any given day. There are many activities that we perform out of sheer habit or necessity, such as eating, sleeping, bathing, and so on. Other activities may be very deliberate, a result of powerful decisions that we made in the past. For example, think how you first learned to perform all the tasks at which you are now proficient. Don't take anything for granted. How did you learn to read, to write, to use a computer, to drive, or do any of the things you get paid to do? Was there not some point at which you had to start learning each skill, after which you went about practicing it, on a daily or near-daily basis, perhaps for many years, until you became very good at it. And on the days when you didn't feel like continuing your training, what motivated you to persevere? Behavioral psychologists tell us that it takes thousands of repetitions to learn a new skill and thousands more repetitions to change an old habit. We can all find support for this idea in our life experience. What is perhaps not so obvious to us is that it is the same in the spiritual life. It is not that God is infinitely far away or that heavenly things are simply impossible for us to understand. It is that our minds are beclouded by bad habits and mental afflictions and the tendency to 
grasp onto that which cannot really satisfy us, but which then gets in the way of our being able to experience divine inspiration. The fact is that divine reality is much harder to perceive than our walls or floors or breakfast table or bed. Thus, rather than leaving our spirituality at the periphery of our, quote, real lives, we must put even greater effort into learning the techniques by which we may draw closer to God, even greater effort than we may have put into learning the kind of skills that come naturally to human beings in a fallen world. Furthermore, we must be willing to practice such spiritual exercises on a daily basis for the rest of our lives. And if we devote enough time to contemplation, if we are patient with ourselves, and if we have proper training and personal guidance, then it is inevitable that we will come to perceive divine realities that most of the world cannot yet see. And this is the first step to living genuinely resurrected lives. Now many people think that saints are a chosen few, singled out by God to be channels of divine grace. And this may be true, but perhaps many of the saints received revelation simply because they were especially stubborn in their longing and deeply persistent in their seeking. Jesus tells us, quote, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Nevertheless, some of us may argue that, oh yes, we've been searching for years, asking with all our hearts, and yet our lives are still filled with pain and disappointment, and the world is still falling apart all around us. We feel no closer to the God we seek. Yet if only we could see things from the divine point of view, perhaps we would know that our efforts have not been in vain, that each step was absolutely necessary in healing our own particular wounds, in purifying our hearts and minds, and in bringing our own paths to fruition. For it is crucial to realize that every single thing we're called to do on the spiritual path is for our sake, 
not because the already perfect Lord of heaven and earth has need of it. The only value in being able to meditate in a steady flow is to gain the capacity to understand something that was always in front of us, but that previously we were unable to recognize. The point of learning how to concentrate perfectly, of spending years of our lives contemplating the sublime teachings of our faith, is simply to prepare ourselves properly so that the veil of ignorance and delusion may be lifted from our eyes. St. Simeon, the new theologian, wrote in the 10th and early 11th centuries about what sustained meditation on divine things can affect in the practitioner. Quote, Therefore he, or she, is changed and becomes bolder and more vigorous in the practice of God's commandments as he or she fulfills them day by day he is purified anew to the extent that he practices them he or she becomes radiant he is illuminated there is granted to him to see revelations of great mysteries the depth of which no one has ever seen nor is at all able to see who has not striven to attain the height of such purity. By mysteries, I mean things that are seen by all without being understood by them. That is from the Discourses, page 189. So how do we begin to gain this inner sight Well, by setting your intention on the simple longing to live as a resurrected being in the light of Christ, you've already begun to clear a sacred space in your own heart. Yet, without a physical space of some kind, you may find it very difficult to sustain and develop that intention, especially on the days when it does not feel particularly strong. When we make a loving commitment to another person, our common instinct is to want to build a home together. Likewise, when we make a spiritual commitment to seek the Lord, it is vital that we carve out a space within our homes, no matter how small or modest, which is dedicated to nourishing our relationship with Him. You may simply set off a corner of a room with a screen or a curtain, or else clear a specific area that you will consistently designate for the practice of prayer and meditation. It should be a place that is relatively quiet, where you can hope to have at least 20 to 30 minutes of privacy each day. And it's important to decorate it nicely, so that it's a space you want to go into, a refuge and a place of solace and beauty. Its outer mood should reflect the inner work you plan to do there. Thus it should be simple, clean, free of clutter or excess objects. And just by preparing this holy space, you are already beginning to prepare a mind that will be clean pure and clear. You might wish to place a sacred icon 
or wooden statue in a prominent and central position within your sacred space, and then arrange everything else in an orderly fashion to lead your eye and your mind towards that image. And again, this will prepare you for the state of mind you want to reach in meditation. When your eyes are closed and the image of the divine face is appearing within the space of your own mind. Place a book of sacred scripture nearby. It could be the complete Bible or else a part of it. For example, the book of Psalms, the Gospels, or the divine office. It could also be the spiritual writings of a saint to whom you feel a particularly close connection. And then think carefully about which symbol best represents for you the unfathomable qualities of the divine mind. Infinite being, perfect wisdom, unconditional love. It may be a bare cross, the cosmic symbol of both death and resurrection, drawing together all space and time into its single salvific reality. Or else you might choose the form of fire in a candle, a biblically rooted symbol of the Holy Spirit. It could even be a simple bowl or glass of water, reminiscent of the baptismal font, and symbolizing the purity and clarity of Christ's knowledge. Most importantly, it should be a symbol that resonates with you personally and also evokes divine transcendence in a way that inspires you to look beyond the physical form of the symbol itself. You might also place some flowers and or incense on your altar, arranged in a way that feels genuinely beautiful to you. What then does such an action demand of faith? Ask yourself, why is preparing a little altar different from arranging flowers or lighting incense or candles just because you like the ambience they create? What is the difference between a sacred and a secular arrangement? As you reflect upon your answer, the most important thing is simply to take care to be precise in your movements and loving in your gestures. Let the very act of designing your altar be a kind of dance, a graceful offering of your body's own movement. And then consider your meditation seating. What kind of posture will you assume to sit in expectation of divine revelation? The emphasis should be on achieving the position that is most comfortable for you in order that you can be totally still for the duration of your meditation without being distracted either by pain or by movement in your body. Be willing to spend some time trying different possibilities until you find a suitable posture in which you can sit upright and alert for at least 15 or 25 or 30 minutes. With practice, your posture will gradually change 
improve and strengthen, and you will be able to sit for a full hour without moving at all. And when you enter into such stillness within your body, then your mind can reach extraordinary places indeed. You might choose a firm chair, one on which you can sit with your feet planted firmly on the floor without having to lean against the back of the chair. If this is too difficult, you can use a small cushion to support your lower back or to raise your feet. Or you might prefer sitting cross-legged on the floor on a firm cushion with sufficient padding under your legs. Do not try to rough it on a hard floor. Your legs will quickly fall asleep and your knees and ankles will be sore. You need something soft and supportive under your legs and you need to be warm enough. The Japanese style sitting cushion called a zafu and the rectangular floor mat that accompanies it called a zabuton are extremely well designed for this purpose. You might also try a small kneeling bench called a zaizu or else design your own arrangement of pillows, mats, and carpet on which to sit or kneel until you find what works best for you. The most important thing is to have your spine lengthened into its natural upright posture of relaxed vigilance, ideally not leaning back on anything. It may be helpful to arrange your cushion on the chair or floor so that the back of the cushion is slightly higher than the front. This enables your hips to sit just a bit higher than your knees and tilts the pelvis slightly forward so that it is easier to lengthen the lower back. Once you've chosen and arranged the seat on which you will meditate, be sure to stand up and step back for a moment, looking at the holy space you have prepared. Rejoice in the gentle beauty of your offerings. Really take time to look at the image you have chosen and believe that the Lord is already spiritually present in your midst. Always start your session of prayer while standing up, the way a priest does before an altar. Thus, you acknowledge that the Lord is already there, and it is as though you are waiting for him to take his seat before you. Never just plunk yourself down casually and then expect to have some holy feeling after you get settled. If you were to become aware of the divine presence only after sitting down, would you not feel compelled to stand up again out of sheer respect? Would you dare remain seated if you actually sensed that the Lord had just passed into your room? To acknowledge the Divine Presence, make a simple obeisance in a way that feels appropriate to you. You might bow slightly from the waist, palms facing together, pouring infinite honor and reverence into that restrained motion. Or you might bend one knee in a traditional sign of worship. Or you may just lower your head with your hands clasped and say a quiet prayer 
that expresses your deepest intention, both for your spiritual practice as a whole and for this particular session of contemplative prayer. And then take your seat with care. Place your left hand in your lap, palm facing upwards, and rest your right one on top of it, allowing the tips of the thumbs to touch lightly. The elbows should be held just away from your body, forming a graceful oval shape from the shoulders to the hands. While there are other conducive positions for the arms, this one is ideal for attaining stable concentration and for enabling energy to flow smoothly throughout the body. Depending on your posture, you might need to place a small pillow or a folded shawl in your lap to create a smooth resting place for your hands. You should not have to make any noticeable effort to hold your arms in place. Be sure your shoulders are level, neither one higher than the other. And then as you begin to meditate and feel as though you're drawing energy up from the earth into your spine, let the neck grow tall and long. This will naturally cause your sternum to lift and your chin to tuck inwards the slightest bit. This is good, but do not exaggerate it. Make sure your head is not tilted too far down as this can lead to sleepiness. But also check that your head is not tipped backward as though you were looking at something above you because this can create unnecessary distraction, not to mention neck pain. Relax your mouth, even letting it broaden into a gentle smile. The lips should be lightly touching, as leaving the mouth open for an extended period of meditation might cause you to get thirsty. The jaw should be loosely relaxed, and the teeth should not be clenched. There's an ancient tradition that you should lightly touch the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth, also to prevent thirst and the excessive buildup of saliva. For beginners, however, it is not necessary to force this. The mouth should feel relaxed without any nervous tension in the lips. More importantly, the flow of the breath should be completely natural and unimpeded. So one should discover for oneself whether it is preferable to breathe through the nose or mouth. Of course, if breathing through the mouth, the lips can open as needed. Some teachers suggest that the eyes should not actually be closed, as this can lead to sleepiness, but should rather be slightly open, gazing steadily into the space in front of you without focusing on any particular thing. The point is not to be looking at any outer object, since that would become a distraction from one's actual object of meditation. Rather, the purpose is to keep the mind alert and not confined to the illusion of darkness inside one's head. 
Yet, it can be difficult for beginners to achieve this non-focused gaze in mid-air, and you certainly don't want to go cross-eyed or build up any tension in the eyes at all. If you can focus better with your eyelids gently closed, that is fine, as long as there is some awareness of light filtering through so that you do not get sleepy. It is most important to keep all the muscles of the eyes loose and relaxed, blinking naturally, without actively focusing on any particular object in the visual field, even though colors and shapes will still appear. The goal is to become still. Once you've found your own ideal meditation posture, make a resolution to yourself to remain in stillness for the duration of the meditation. There are places our minds can go when our bodies are completely still that it will be impossible to experience if we have disturbed the meditation even once to adjust our position or attend to an itch. It doesn't matter what bodily irritation begins to bother you or what sound is annoying you or whether you're too hot or too cold or restless or uncomfortable. Don't move. If you start trying to adjust physically, there will always be something more to disturb you and you will never gain true stillness. It's important to be strict with yourself about this especially if you're meditating alone. When meditating with others, one gains the added incentive not to disturb anyone else's meditation, and this is helpful to teach you just how much you can endure with no negative consequences. Gradually, you will teach yourself simply to watch each distraction, whether it appears to come from inside or outside the body. To watch each distraction simply arise, reach its peak, and then fade away. If you do not pay much attention to the distraction, it will wear itself out naturally. And it is important to keep to the allotted period of time you have set yourself, even if it's only 15 or 25 minutes. To begin, set yourself very short sessions so that you're teaching your body this discipline in manageable increments. And gradually, you may lengthen the sessions quite naturally because you want to stay longer. However, don't try to sit longer than you can comfortably maintain bright, clear concentration without building up tension in the body. Also, try to meditate every morning and evening at about the same time. There is power to such ritual habits. And once you find the times of day when your mind can remain clear without undue sleepiness or disturbance, you will soon look forward to that special, quiet, restorative haven. Eva writes about the importance of body-mind equilibrium. 
before we can even discover what our heart longs for, before we can even call on the one who is the source of all we long for, before we can even bring our hearts to pray meaningfully for all those in such deep need in so many different ways, we must bring our body and mind into equilibrium, into balance. There's a technique, a way of doing this. It will not always have the same effect because the body and mind are always changing. Still, if we practice consistently, this can become an anchor, a habit, a place of silence and stillness from which the rest of our spiritual life can grow. And when we come to the cushion feeling stressed or upset, even angry, we cannot expect to enter a peaceful and virtuous state of mind right away. Rather, by asking the mind to focus on something as neutral and as immediately close at hand as the breath, we give ourselves some space to recover from whatever is disturbing our mind and body. Once refreshed and rebalanced, we can go on to develop the more peace-filled and compassionate states of mind towards which our meditation will ultimately be directed. Now I would like to offer you Eva's first meditation on awareness of the breath. You might want to take this meditation as a daily practice. To begin, become deeply aware of your body, what it feels like to be embodied, what it feels like to inhabit weight, inhabit the experience of solidity, gravity, and to feel how that is distributed upon your seat. Then be aware of all the fluid aspects of what it is to dwell in that weight. You're not rock solid. So how, without moving, without making any unnecessary movement, can you embody the fluidity that's already there? As both water and earth are very grounded elements, Begin now to be aware of the counterbalance, the upward moving energies of heat, of fire, or we might say the very inspiration that keeps you upright. How is the very posture in which you sit already oriented toward heaven while remaining deeply grounded in the earth. As you begin to feel a balance between these downward and upward moving energies, now begin to become aware of the breath, the sheer lightness and motility of the air passing through your whole body 
without trying to control the breath in any way, simply become aware of how the effects of each inhalation and exhalation reverberate through all the passageways of your body, the veins and arteries, the bloodstream, the cavities of the lungs. How does the experience of breathing enter into your abdomen, then down to the tips of your toes? Without directing the mind anywhere in particular, just become aware of the sensations associated with the breath, wherever they may arise. Again, without trying to control it in any way, become increasingly attuned to the exhalation, allowing it to reach its full extent and remaining aware all the way to that end. And then, not forcing in any way the inhalation, allow the breath to return to you as sheer gift. Let your curiosity follow these subtle movements associated with the breath along the cavity of the back, through your skull, to the tips of the nostrils. Watch the extent of the sensations associated with the breath all the way down to the tips of the toes and back through your legs to your fingertips. And still, without trying to control it, allow the breath to be its own wisdom to bring your system to equilibrium. And then, in particular, become aware of the rising and falling of your ribcage. There's no need to think of it as a ribcage. Just try to become attuned to the sensations that your mind associates with chest in the middle of the body. At the center of that space, begin to feel your spiritual heart. Breathe from there, still watching the rising and falling, the movement of air at the center of the equilibrium of weightedness, fluidity, the energy of heat and the flow of wind within your body. Release each breath all the way to the end, holding nothing back, not pushing, not forcing, just giving it away, surrendering all that you are so that whatever returns is pure gift, not drawn, not pulled, not reclaimed, simply received. Thus let spirit heal you, 
the divine spirit that knows perfectly how to bring you to balance, if only you allow it. Let the Holy Spirit breathe you. And with your mind settled there, try to recall a moment when your connection with Christ Jesus was strongest, clearest, when the presence was so real. In that moment, what did you see yourself wanting to be? And how did you feel his presence shaping, modifying, cajoling, or teaching you to become him? Still remaining aware of your breath, expand your awareness to your whole body again as it is changed by that encounter. Who is the you that Christ sees? Allow the intensity of that presence, that light within your heart, to suffuse your vision of your body your experience of your body passing through your images of flesh or bone, irradiating you completely with the crystal clarity of Christ's light, this pure love that is sent to care for everyone. Let that light fill you now as your breath did before as though the light is riding on your breath, filling every space and corner of your form with crystal, brilliant, white light. Returning your mind to your heart, think of one person with whom you'd like to share this experience one person who you know is in need of such presence, such inspiration, such reassurance. On a single ray of light, imagine that you transmit your own experience of Christ's presence to this person, straight to his or her heart. This light likewise fills this person's body, clearing away all afflictions, worries, confusions, and filling him or her with clarity and divine purpose for existing in this world. And now return your focus to your own light-filled body. Begin to relax your concentration without losing your awareness. Then quietly dedicate the power of this meditation 
that all people everywhere may find the profound inspiration that comes from intimacy with the divine teacher, whatever their religion or faith or worldview might be, that all people may know the profound joy of being guided by the heart of perfect compassion, perfect divine love, perfect creativity, and that all our actions may be guided down to the finest glimmer by the eyes and ears and knowledge of this divine presence, so that the day may come when all of us may say in all honesty, quote, I do nothing on my own. I speak nothing on my own. I think nothing on my own, but only in the one who strengthens me. Amen. Eva encourages the reader to give yourself time to practice the awareness of the breath meditation for several days or weeks until you sense that your body mind is able to enter into and maintain equilibrium more easily. And she advises that you always begin your meditation practice with at least 10 minutes of calming and centering awareness. This will prepare you to enter into the guided meditations that follow in Living Resurrected Lives with deeper focus and concentration. And then, when you feel ready to proceed to the guided meditations that are in the book, read each sentence or section slowly and reflect on it for a few moments before proceeding to the next one. Perhaps close your eyes so that your imagination can create a vivid picture before your inner eye. Let the image sink deeply into your heart. Rest with the sense of being in the moment for as long as you wish before proceeding to the next reflective point. Never feel the need to rush to the next sentence or section. If you do not complete the entire meditation in one sitting, you may return to it later when you're able to complete the whole meditation at one time. The most important factor is to remain open to whatever the Spirit reveals to you in whatever way. Stay with that. Heighten your awareness. Breathe in that limitless space. It is holy ground. The first letter of John proclaims, quote, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. How will we ever gain the ability to experience a resurrected body if we do not even try to imagine it now? If the barrier between our current ordinary experience and what we shall become is not deliberately placed there by God, 
then what more can God do to guide us towards that place except to show us how to release all that is blocking us? This is a tremendous work, not to be ignored, but it will require a steady, untiring practice, one that is willing to face and gradually let go of all the inner demons that still prevent us from dwelling, seeing, and living as Christ dwells, sees, and lives. If we do not practice, if we do not take the time every day to face our inner landscape, to allow ourselves to be cleansed consistently by Christ's presence in us, then inevitably we will continue to spin in our old habits, fall prey to distraction and busyness, and then find ourselves worn out each day with foggy minds, unable to think clearly, much less progress in the path of divine understanding. By not practicing, by not actualizing the light of the Spirit already present within us, we cannot help but fall back into thinking of our world as ordinary, of our lives as but an insignificant attempt at creating meaning within a vast cosmos of insurmountable, frightening uncertainties, and of our bodies as something inert and simply material, with no better destiny than to rot in a grave or be burned to ashes. Yet, by practicing consistently, by learning how to dwell without distraction in the peace that already dwells in us, Christ's own peace that surpasses all understanding, we cannot help but receive glimpses of what we will be. We can begin to believe in the reality of a physical form made of nothing but the effulgence of divine light and learn step by step to embody such a vision of ourselves even long before the resurrection is enacted fully for all creation. And by dwelling more and more within these glimpses, more and more they do become our own reality, the baseline from which we act and interact in the world. The details of the spiritual path are many, and a serious practice of contemplation requires the guidance of a wise teacher, one who already knows the exquisite but sometimes disturbing landscape of the interior territory we seek to explore. Eva's meditations that are offered in Living Resurrected Lives are intended simply as a source of inspiration, not as a complete set of instructions for spiritual development. Yet we both hope that they might offer a template from which you may discover your own very personal experiences of the resurrection narratives. What is most important for now is that each one of us learns to enter the very scenes in which Christ transmits his resurrected reality personally to his disciples 
in the single historical time that is all time. We suggest that you find your own rhythm alternating between the imaginative, intensely devotional meditations on gospel experiences and resting in the silence and stillness of awareness focused on the sensations of breathing. Do not push to repeat a deeply meaningful experience that may come in meditation. Let each day be fresh without expectation of what may arise and promise yourself to never miss a day but allow the balance of your practice to grow organically without pressure or striving. Trust Christ to guide you in each session of meditation, whether or not you engage in active visualization of a scene of encounter. The process is long-term. We are changed by the consistency of dedication the pure intention of our hearts and the infusion of divine grace to which we open ourselves when we surrender completely to Christ's love within. Once we gain stability in our meditative concentration, the sky is the limit for the authentic understanding that will grow. So do not lose heart. Practice without ceasing until the actual resurrection dawns. For this is the imperative of our whole lives, to prepare for what Christ has always been preparing for us and for which he begs us to be ready. Quote, Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Revelations 3 verse 20. As mentioned earlier, these teachings on developing a contemplative practice were written by my daughter, Dr. Eva Natanya, in part two of our book, Living Resurrected Lives, What It Means and Why It Matters. This book won the 2021 Catholic Media Association Book Award for Contemporary Spirituality. Living Resurrected Lives is available in paperback and also as an ebook from the publisher Whipf and Stock and also from Amazon and other bookstores worldwide. You will find easy links to purchase the book on my website, veronicamaryrolf.com. And when you purchase Living Resurrected Lives and you have the book in hand, either in paperback or as an ebook, you will be able to read Eva's profound and inspiring guided meditations on scenes from the resurrection appearances. Inside the tomb, on the road to Emmaus, in the upper room, at the transformation of Thomas, at Lake Tiberias, and also meditations on being the peace of Christ, empowerment by fire, 
devotion and union and dwelling in the Spirit. In addition, you will have access to the live recordings of Eva's guided meditations that she made during one of her three-year solitary retreats. We sincerely hope that you will commit to this contemplative practice as a powerful way to begin living a truly resurrected life here and now. And if you've not yet listened to the previous seasons of these Life, Love, and Light podcasts, I invite you to go back to the beginning in April 2020 to hear the first season on the revelations of divine love given to the beloved medieval mystic Julian of Norwich, and the second season that explores the biblical mystics, followed by season three that is all about following the mystical path. I hope you gain benefit from these podcasts. Please tell your friends about them and also about today's contemplative practice. So in closing this fourth season of podcasts, I wish you all the blessings of divine life, love, and light.